Hi, listeners. You can now listen to this community podcast production ad-free on Apple Podcasts and access the podcast one week early and get exclusive bonus content. Just hit the subscribe button now on Apple Podcasts. Or if you want access to all of the above, plus video versions of the podcast, head to patreon.com forward slash stop the killing. On the morning of August 1st, 1966, shots ring out from the observation deck of the clock tower on the University of Texas campus. It marks the infamous beginning of the modern era of mass shootings in America. I'm Sarah Ferris, true crime podcaster. And I'm Catherine Schweit, the former head of the FBI's active shooter program. And you're listening to Stop the Killing. Welcome to another episode of Stop the Killing. Hello, Catherine. Hello. 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 Nice to talk to you today. Nice to see you today. I know. For those of you who don't see, once sometime you should sit at a desktop or use your phone and tap in there to see the video of us because... That in and of itself is entertaining, which they do how, Sarah, Farah? Oh, good question, Catherine. Thank you so much for asking. So we've got two ways. So Patreon uh, members get early access to the videos. So you can go to patreon.com forward slash stop the killing. Um, it's a tiny, tiny, insipency amount of money. You'll be supporting the podcast. You'll get early access to all the videos and any bonus content that comes out behind there. Plus, it's all ad free. and. Now you can also watch the videos. Well, you don't have to pay for the videos, but you do get them a little bit later than Patreons. And that is available on at Sarah Ferris Media on YouTube. So please do go and subscribe. We want to break that YouTube algorithm so that we can get Stop the Killing, not just in the ears of people, but also in the eyes and ears so that people who don't listen to podcasts can find us too. So yeah, that's how. But if you are watching this, you'll see that Catherine is literally shoving down her breakfast. <laughs> is that what that's happening? why I'm laying? That's why I'm letting you do all the talking. She's like, "Keep talking, Sarah. I'm Keep just talking, finishing. Make something up." I was just going to say, then you get to see where we do our recording and the crazy uh, clothes and uh, changes and hair that's always messed up. Yeah, and hey, she's today, talking about me, which is quite rude. Well, not necessarily. Not necessarily. <laughs> Often when you hear about a shooting, it's in the news and then it disappears. And then the victims and the survivors are the ones who hang on, listen, you know, follow up, ask for change. Everybody at the time asks for all kinds of change. But they don't necessarily know what that is. And I think a lot of people don't really follow up and see, okay, where change is made, they move on. But then also there's this uh, great reliance, I think, for victims and survivors that uh, the, the government as a whole, first responders as a whole, as the brother's keeper, are going to do a better job next time. And it's not going to happen that way next time. Hmm. But in order for that to happen, you know, there really has to be change, right? It, yeah. And there has to be measured change, not change for change's sake. So today, I just wanted to kind of close the door on something that occurred that was a shooting to open the door about all the work still to be done. I'm reminded of our episode that we recently did with a survivor from Parkland, Elizabeth Stout. And, you know, that does resonate that she's still carrying the flame forward and trying to move change forward. And and that's often the way, isn't it? The people that are most passionate about it, they've been so intrinsically affected by it. But Mm -hmm. we all need to be part of that movement somehow. 
and not just go from one news story to the next news story. Definitely. I was just going to say that I think that you may think you can't have much of an impact or an effect, but we're going to share some stories this season about people who, and single person and the impact they had. And you're going to be like, wow, I should do that. I could do that. I think that's one of the things that I think is that one person can make a difference. Sometimes when somebody is in distress and they're thinking about committing suicide, it's one person who changes their life and yeah. saves them. Yeah. And, so you know, true. so it, it's, it's very much that way. One person can have such an impact. The reason that I said, hey, Sarah, let's get on the line, is I wanted to tell you that there had been a final report out just this week on a shooting that occurred here in the state of Virginia, in our largest city, Virginia Beach, which is a very hot resort area on the East Coast of the United States, beautiful beaches, huge, wide, long, as far as you can see, big beaches. And there was a shooting by a municipal employee in their city building. It happened in, in actually May 31st of 2019 at four-ish in the afternoon. Well, everybody was just working in their office at this municipal building. A city engineer who'd worked there for a while came walking in with a 45 caliber gun and just started shooting everybody around and shooting and shooting and shooting. And he was shooting for so long that the police responded and got into a gunfight with him. They eventually shot and killed him. There were police officers who were hit. In the end, there were 12 people killed and four people injured before police were able to put him down, neutralize that threat. Which is pretty huge, pretty huge. And I don't want to belabor the subject of this shooting because I want to tell you this. You know, the FBI's behavioral analysis unit, which helps us always to look at who did something bad or who is going to do something bad and can we predict it and prevent it? Either of those. The FBI Behavioral Analysis Unit, over the two years uh, that occurred after the shooting, did background on this guy. And their final determination to the governor's office, to Virginia, to the police department, was that the shooting, quote, was motivated by a perceived workplace grievance, but no person or group was in a position to see the confluence of behaviors that may have forewarned the attack. Oh, isn't that interesting? What I take away from that is nobody had eyes over all of the pieces of the puzzle for some reason. Am I right? Yeah, this was this guy was 40 years old. Right. And okay. he, so he had been working, obviously, he had been working as a city engineer for a while. And And as it turned out, he tendered his resignation in the mail a few hours before the attack. Resigned in good standing, right? He had his own security pass still. He had entered through the employee workspace at the time of the attack. And in the days prior to the shooting, he was supposedly had gotten into some scuffles with some employees. They had threatened disciplinary action against him. He was having troubles at work and troubles with other employees. But the uh, city manager, when he was interviewed, said there wasn't any discipline underway for him. So maybe he perceived 
right, that there's something going on and that he might be facing some discipline because he'd been in, in conflicts with the person. I think that what happens in many of these instances is that there was a, you know, perceived grievance uh, over work issues, conflicts with employees, you know, troubled people, and you match them with guns. Well, in the three years prior, he had legally purchased six guns. So he had access to weapons, right? Yeah. A lot of weapons. Yeah. I mean, he is, he was a local guy. He had served like in the, in the uh, states of National Guard. He had graduated from one of the local colleges right there in the town where he grew up, Newport News, which it's right near Virginia Beach. He really had no criminal record. BAU said nothing that really seemed to BAU, meaning the behavioral analysis unit at the FBI, meaning that there was nothing to them that showed, oh, okay, this guy, there were all kinds of signs. But this kind of speaks to the, you don't know what's brewing in somebody's head. I think Doesn't that's it? What, it's exactly mm-hmm. what I was thinking. I was thinking it's so scary because you can't get inside people's minds, which then I guess you've got to flip that and ask the question, how prepared are we to deal with something that we might not see is coming? Because exactly, you've got no idea that this guy's a threat. Exactly. You are, soothsayer that you are, you are hitting the nail on the head about what I wanted to touch base with today (laughs) about that very thing, because you can't know. Hello, and welcome to Guilty Greenie. I feel like we should start off this show by saying it's nearly impossible to be 100% sustainable given the current world we live in. How do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? Not a great analogy for a vegetarian, but you know. Say, we're talking uh, about sustainability, maybe not the best analogy. Don't eat the elephant is the first rule of the guilty green. There's your first challenge of the week. <laughs> Avoid the elephants. Elephant. What they used to call frugal is now considered sustainable. So it's such an aha moment. Frugal to sustainable. You can save money and help the planet. That's going to be our new tagline for sure. Yeah, tag- you can find Guilty Greenie on Apple Podcasts or whichever podcast platform you prefer. And join us in tackling the Guilty Greenie challenges. Until then, stay curiously green. Have you ever felt that pang of disappointment when you couldn't add a ticket to your collection because it was digital? Or maybe you just lost it? Well, Stubforge.com is here to change that. Imagine this. Tickets that not only look, but feel like the real deal. Because each ticket from Stubforge is printed on the same quality stock that Ticketmaster uses and printed with genuine ticket printers. It's like holding a piece of the concert, the game or the show right in your hands. But Stubforge isn't just about replacing tickets. With the easy-to-use interactive designer, you can create custom tickets for anything from concerts to sports games, pregnancy announcements, or parties. Why not make your invitations stand out with tickets that are as unique as your event? And if you're trying to complete a back catalogue of missing tickets, Stubforge offers bulk discounts to make it both easy and affordable. With Stubforge, you can once more give your loved ones physical tickets and see their eyes light up instantly at the best gift you can give. So whether you're looking to reignite your ticket collection, craft the perfect gift, or send the coolest invites, head over to stubforge.com. Start creating today and see how Stubforge makes every ticket a story worth saving. 
Visit stubforge.com and start making tickets today. When we talk about threat analysis and you do an analysis of a threat analysis for your business or your school or for your home, you know, like what's the chance you're going to have a kitchen fire? Does it mean Mm. that you don't have something prepared in case there is a kitchen fire or you don't know what to do? You know, that's why we keep emergency preparedness things in our house, in our car. A lot of people, you know, carry medical kits in their cars or extra blankets. Take that, times it by a hundred and a thousand in order to imagine what someplace like the state's largest city needs to have on hand in case there's an emergency. Like every business, every school, right? So emergency planning is really not just an exercise. It is our savings account. In case something happens, you might never need to tap the savings account, but you sleep better because you know it's there. The behavioral people said, you know, look, there was no person or group in a position to, quote, see the confluence of behaviors that may have forewarned the attack. It really speaks to You have to be ready in case, even if you have a threat assessment team, that doesn't mean necessarily, right, that you're going to see something that happens because we can't get inside somebody's head. So it is good to be prepared. There were several interim reports about the shooting that came out. The shooting occurred in 2019. There were reports that came out in a couple of subsequent years. One was, you know, the standard police report about how this is what happened and we should do a better job. And we're going to make these changes at the police department because every first responder does an after action and evaluates how they could do better. We can always do better. We always look for those areas where we can do better. But this report, which is the final report that was addressed, you know, to the governor, it has a, a handful of fascinating and kind of unexpected conclusions. And I say that as a person yeah. who has read a ton of these. Yes. I'm and has worked on some. I've, I mean, I've worked on some of these. So this, I'm going to tell you just first, out of the box, as they say, out of the box. I'm going to tell you the very first thing that this report says. The report says, this just cracks me up. The report says, this commission was doomed to failure. What? Right. right. This commission could not be as successful as it could have been because it was too large. And right now, we should say from here forward, no commission evaluating changes that should be made after a mass casualty incident like this should ever be this big. Okay, so so how big was it? So you're talking about the people that were tasked to do the after action. There was just too many of them. How many? Right. Well, and not just like what you say in after action, but this is kind of the overall state evaluation of it. What was the atmosphere in the room when they were all looking around going, there's too many of us in here? And they were like going, we're going to vote you out, you out. Toby's gone. Terry's really a waste of space. How many? How many? <laughs> exactly. So they had, so they had, <laughs> they had, um, they had 22 people originally, one of them who dropped off for some reason, so 21 people. And the report says, and the report says, right, like in the first, uh, like in the first page, it says that because of this, they should have no more than 10 people on any of these meetings because this is all good, man. Because they said they couldn't even get meeting dates scheduled. And they I had mean, to cancel a bunch of meetings. People. 
And they had to try to coordinate meeting dates, which probably makes sense that this shooting happened in 19 and it's 2023. And the report is coming out, right? The final report. Now, there were interim in-betweens. But the very first thing they say is, we had too many people. Many of these meetings, we couldn't even get a quorum at. That is nuts. That so is nuts. that was their very first thing they said. We're bad really with too many of us. Too many, too many cooks. <laughs> right, which really surprised me. They said well, that... Do you know what I do like, though, about that, Catherine, is their own little self-awareness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. The, the Virginia Tech Mass Shooting Commission had eight members. The lessons learned from this commission, they had 20 voting members, one non-voting member, and then a person who didn't even, you know, make the, make the cut eventually. Some wow. meetings were held without quorums. Matters could not even be voted on. They were forced to cancel numerous meetings. And so then they look back and remember that this is the same place where Virginia Tech, right? Uh, we had yeah. the Virginia Tech massacre, and there were way more people, multiple shooting locations, and subject who did, you know, all kinds of horrendous things. And the Virginia Tech group was eight members. So mm. what they said, which I think was really good, so they said, for future commissions involving an investigation of a mass shooting at a school or university or any state or local government, there should be no more than ten members with a consideration on the subject matter expertise and the diversity of backgrounds. A lot of messaging in there. There really is. They've ticked a lot of boxes. I think the biggest thing is that they're saying, think about who's working on it afterwards. You know, are they the right people? Because the other thing is that, here's a great example. The Virginia Tech Commission had a budget of $460,000 and eight pro bono lawyers who did work, you know, for free, pro bono, right? Yeah, yeah. Eight lawyers who did pro bono work. The Virginia Beach Commission budget was a 10% of that, $38,000. They had no lawyers to help them out. You kind of get what you create, right? So I think that was the biggest takeaway because the other things that they recommended saying initially, here is the big problem, right? Here's the big problem that we had so many people we couldn't make decisions. But what they did come away with that they thought was really helpful were things like you have yeah. to have better training for everybody in run, hide, fight. There are several sections that talk about how there should be more training routinely for everybody on stopping the bleed, that you are the first responder. Yeah. And it's kind of validating in that it pounded away all the things that we said. I mean, literally, their final report says, have an emergency operations plan. So many people don't have them. Run the plan, run tabletop exercises, run testing of it, share it with first responders who need to know what the building schematics look like and where the auto shutoff is for water and fire. Then it says with regard to potential victims, train them in stop the bleed, train them in run, hide, fight, train them in, in the way that uh, they're going to need uh, resources for recovery and how to get those resources and how to get information, and set your communications plan up to convey all of that. From a practical point of view, mm -hmm. you know, when you're talking about putting all these trainings into place, in a business, how often should you be doing that training? What's your schedule? I think that's great, because I, I, that's a good question, because I worked in private practice, and I think it's easy in school to say, oh, you should have, you know, two 
two runs a year or something like that, just like you do for a fire or tornado or hurricane. Um, and that's great. But in a business, I think a lot of businesses make the mistake of doing good on Tuesday, November you know, 17th, and they have this training. Well, the problem is that on the 18th, there's new employees and other employees. Exactly. Quit. That's what I was going to say. Like your so, influx right. should be part of your induction program it, somewhere. There should be. Exactly. There should be a training that's required yeah. for the basics for every new employee within mm-hmm. 30 days. Well, this is what I recommend to businesses. It's understandable if you might not be able to get them into that training in the first week or two. Stop the bleed, run, hide, fight. There are courses available nationally, internationally. On our U.S. government, Department of Homeland Security, free courses available internationally that anybody can take on stop the bleed, first aid, uh, run, hide, fight. So you could take those and you can just have them do them on their own, or you can have them do them by sitting in a room and you pay them for that hour. They sit in the room and do them, but do it within the first 30 days. And then in, in addition to that, you should create that culture of safety and security by talking about it at staff meetings. You know, maybe every other staff meeting, you, you bring up some aspect of safety. And then maybe every six months or every four months, you spend more than five minutes talking about it. You spend 20 minutes talking about it because I, I get that time is money for employees. And yeah. so you want to, you kind of want to balance it out. But when your personnel changes, you have to understand and appreciate that impact. One of the problems they had in Virginia Beach, the shooter was an employee. Shooter had badge access to doors. Law enforcement did not. They could not get through a door where the shooter was at one point. Right. That and he's is, on the other side with He's with on the other victims. side shooting people. Right. That's a kind of a failure of planning only from a creativity standpoint. No criticism to the city uh, emergency planners, but in terms of you know, it happens, right? But they, you should yeah. learn from this. Every business should learn. That, that's great that you have locked doors. First responders have to be able to get through them. And, and sometimes, how would they get well, through that? Tell me. Let me. Well, let me tell you. In that, we had an elementary school shooting in Nashville, Tennessee, and the school principal, I believe it was, met first responders at the front door and unlocked the door with her key. That's okay. what you need to do. You need to have a method in place where somebody meets you with a key. You hand a swipe badge to somebody. When we had a shooting at the Navy Yard here in Washington, D.C., the security guard at the Navy Yard was murdered by the subject. And when law enforcement came into the building, they took the security guard's swipe badge off of his body and used it to access doors. Wow. But it just goes to show. But law enforcement's thinking, we're going to get, we need to get through doors. But it goes to show like in a workplace environment, how you actually have to have practiced those motions. So the point of me bringing this up is all recovery stuff can be planned for ahead of time. Every bit of it is out there. You should have an incredible recovery plan. Nothing should be new. So there should be people in charge of it. And even if that just means for your own family. Mm. there's two takeaways my first takeaway is I was like why have we not covered this case and then I realized it was in 2019 and we didn't even know each other then True, but it feels like 2019 wasn't that long ago so that's crazy in itself but secondly my big takeaway is that if you're a business big or small get somebody in charge of that right now sort it out absolutely and absolutely you're going to have to clean it up afterwards. So, you know, the better it's organized ahead of time, the easier it is to clean up.
Thanks for listening. And if you want to know more, Catherine's book, Stop the Killing, is out now. For more details, go to katherineschweit.com. Please consider also supporting our independently made podcast. It's simple to do. Go to patreon.com forward slash stop the killing. And for as little as the price of a latte a month, you can be part of the solution to stop the killing. Patreon rewards range from official do-gooder status to ad-free episodes, autographed books, and opportunities to connect with us directly for your business, school, church, or even just a book club chat. But just knowing that you are part of a movement that has the power to make your community safer, well, that's got to taste better than a skinny cappuccino any day. So please head to patreon.com forward slash stop the killing now and polish off your do-gooder halo and make sure to include your name so we can give you a shout out. This podcast is a community podcast production. That's con with an N. If you want more content, then head over to Community Podcast at Instagram, where you'll find trailers on more binge-worthy true crime, like the award-winning podcast Conning the Con. And check out our show notes for all the links mentioned. Finally, if you want one takeaway action that you can do right now that can help make our community safer, Please share, rate and review this podcast wherever you listen. Everybody needs to know that they hold the keys to see something and say something. Together, we can stop the killing. It's one of those things you hope never happens, but you better train for it. Because it will happen. And it will happen in places you wouldn't expect. Be ready for it. Dive into the heart of crime with Foul Play Crime Series. Immerse yourself in the most perplexing cases where each twist and turn is more baffling than the last. With riveting storytelling and detailed analysis, Foul Play brings the unsolved and unexplained to life, captivating your imagination. Listen to Foul Play Crime Series now, where every story is a puzzle waiting to be solved. Ohio is a land of mystery, from missing shipwrecks and lost treasure beneath her surface to strange phenomenon slicing through her skies, from myths that have evolved around historic events and people to the unsolved murders and disappearances that keep her communities wondering what happened. Find Ohio Mysteries on your favorite podcast app, and let's explore the inexplicable. OhioMysteries.com